1: welcome welcome to the hokey hangover podcast i am andrew alex and i got some big news before we even get started here the hokey hangover podcast is now brought to you by main street pharmacy main street pharmacy in downtown blacksburg the best pharmacy in the new river valley if you want a pharmacy that truly cares about you and is not just a giant money groping national corporation then go to main street pharmacy if you live in the new river valley our good friend dr jeremy counts over there he will take care of you. I am joined alongside the usual suspects, the SI Hokies crew. First, we got Mike McDaniel.
2: What's up Andrew? What's up everybody? How's <laughs> everyone doing?
1: Not much man, not much. And we also have Ricky the Blue.
3: Hey, what's going on Andrew? You killed the the Main Street Pharmacy intro by the way. For first of all, thank you to Jeremy and everyone over there, but you absolutely killed that intro.
1: It's a, it's a truly like, you know, it's good to be sponsored, It's especially good to be sponsored by people that you really believe in what they're doing and care about what they're doing. And Jeremy and the people over at Main Street Pharmacy, they're just awesome. So that, that came from the heart, as they say. But but Ricky, we have a special guest today. I'd like you to introduce him.
3: Yes. Yeah, so last week, for those who listened, and if you haven't listened yet, what the hell are you doing, man? Go, go on whatever app you use to listen and go fire it up. But anyway, um, we have another guest this week, and th- this is a, a, really, a really fun guest for me, and I'm really looking forward to this. Um, this guy's like the sage of hokey Twitter, or at least he was until about two weeks ago, and that's <laughs> where I want to kick things off. But um, Dave Scarangella is on with us, and for those who are not familiar with Dave's career, um, Dave was a, a writer for about a decade and wrote for the Roanoke Times, wrote for Lynchburg and Martinsville. Um, won multiple state awards from the Virginia Press Association, uh, won two national awards for his column writing, uh, transitioned into a career in business, became a a national sales director, a CEO, a president of a company, um, had a long, illustrious career. So I'm really happy to bring Dave on because he really has a perspective that I don't have. Uh, and I think a lot of people don't have either. Uh, so, Dave, thanks for coming on, man.
0: I really look forward to it. And, and Alex, just to make it simple, I work for one of those money grubbing conglomerates you were just talking about a little while ago, so I can represent that side of the coin too.
1: <laughs> Alrighty
3: <laughs> then. <laughs> At least he's honest. So, like I mentioned, Dave, you you were kind of the sage of Hokie's Twitter in terms of rationality and even keeled responses. Um, and then about two weeks ago or so, you decided you were done with Twitter and, um, given everything that goes on in Hokies Twitter and really in every single realm of Twitter right now, uh, I, I think that that's really relevant and I wanted to get your, your personal reasons for doing that and how it's been since you left.
0: I got to tell you what, I mean, I've read nine books and my dog's been for 27 walks because I have all this extra time right now, but uh, (laughs) I mean, I think what you've got going on right now in hokey Twitter, Twitter in general, uh, let's not leave out the good people over at Tech Sideline. I wrote and commented for a decade over there too, Um, there used to be that you had a conversation about something, and you just saw over the years, uh, things just, just is life in general, just very polarized so that, I mean, it used to be, you know, when when the rocket ship took off for Virginia Tech back in the 90s, when uh, uh, when they finally, when, when Dave Brain told Frank, you got to hire some different assistants and, you know, then they went to a bowl and then Druckenmiller comes in and, you know, the Sugar Bowl and the Orange Bowl and we're all in New Orleans together there was this sense of, okay, we're still all on the same side, okay? We can disagree and we can be civil, but, you know, we're still all on the same side. And I don't know what it was, but probably four or five years ago, it's kind of like, you know, I can't disagree with you. If I, if I don't like what Alex or Mike said, i got to destroy them. I mean, I have to be curt. I have to, you know, I, I have to take one side very heavily. And at some point, you kind of take a step back and you say, you know, uh, this isn't fun, you know, and it certainly isn't accomplishing anything. Um, and I just got to the point between that and a couple of other things that, you know, maybe I'll just be quiet for a little while and I'll just read. Because, um, you know, what you hope to do in any conversation isn't to, I don't know about you guys, but I don't get into conversations with the idea of i, I got to beat the other guy up. I, I hope to enjoy and learn and smile and storytelling and stuff like that. And, and I would say right now, like, Ricky, you'd asked me the other day in an email about, you, know, you wanna talk about the state of the program. And I thought, you know, that's the kind of question that if you asked it on Twitter right now, if you said, well, I'm somewhere in the middle, you'd get destroyed by both sides. You know, either Next. it has to be positive all the time or it has to be negative all the time. And and I'm just I'm just not sure that accomplishes anything in life. And at some point you say life's too short. Let me just take a break for right now. I mean, as, as I, I said to friends, you know, if I want to be around people and just be yelled at all the time, I'll go to a family reunion. I mean, so I don't need to do this with total strangers. And I think I think right now you're go, we're going through a stage where people are not being civil. Let's put it that way. Dave, yeah, yeah,
2: I Dave. got caught. Dave, I got caught in a
0: Twitter storm the other
2: night because there was the Oklahoma State backlash from uh, Mike Gundy wearing the OAN shirt and um, his Heisman Trophy candidate running back Chuba Hubbard coming back and saying, "You know, we're not going to, you know, stand for this as a program um, because of the comments that OAN has made in the past about Black Lives Matter," and there was a back and forth between. Uh, several members of the football program, as well as uh, the athletic director, releasing a statement uh, about Mike Gundy, saying, "You know, there were some things brought to the table today that were really disturbing and alarming." So, I posed a question on Twitter a couple nights back, talking about, "Well, hey, look, Justin Fuente, not too long ago, entertained a job opportunity with Baylor, and Justin Fuente is from the state of Oklahoma." And all I said on Twitter was, Hokie fans might want to pay attention to this." And I, I just kind of played it right down the middle. But the fact that I put it out there really upset certain sections of the fan base, good, bad or indifferent. And it kind of caused an uproar on social media, which I wasn't necessarily expecting. I thought it was a fair question to ask,
1: Dave.
0: Well, it was a fair question to ask, but but I mean, that's just a great example. I mean, on, on two fronts, one, one, the OAN notion uh, I've, I learned a long time ago, if you if you deal with something political, um, and generally everything political has some complexity to it, you're not gonna get it done in 280 characters. So if I'm gonna have a discussion with you, and I care about us having a reasonable conversation, I'm gonna have it face to face, where I can look in your eyes and I can see if, you know, you're not hearing what I'm hearing and I'm offending you and you're offending me, and hopefully between that, we'll learn to communicate. So so the, the OAN part, I mean, I, I, I know how what you were doing with it. I mean, that probably, you know, annoyed a lot of people. The second part is the part, though, that, that, that I keep seeing over and over again, and that is, if you just bring up the point – it is a fair point to bring up, but you, you probably kindled up the, uh, the positive and the negative. You know, to, to you, you're just presenting a fact. To the positive all the time, what are you saying? The point wants to leave here? And to the negative all the time, good riddance, let him get out of here. And all of a sudden, you have this firestorm for you know, essentially just saying, good morning. You know here's a fact you know and, and 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 then you just walk away i mean it's it's like that billy joel we didn't start the fire well you know there's gonna it, it just combusts anyway because everybody is somehow looking into things from their own personal perspectives and as i said in 280 characters it's just easier just to slam somebody and i think that's what you experienced right
1: now now dave I I think the the sensation that we're all seeing, and Mike's example is is a good one, is that Twitter and just the Internet in general has become very tribal and everything, every argument becomes political. People take the side of their tribes. and, And if you want to have a nuanced opinion that might take parts of both sides or acknowledge that aspects of both arguments
0: are true. You're alone, and you get thrown to the wolves. Now you've Well, been, you can, uh, you 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 can, but but let me just stop you right there. I just wanted to just point one thing out. How, was the last time? How many times have you been on Twitter and somebody said, "Okay, I admit it, I was wrong." Not very a often. A handful. Uh, not often. <laughs> I actually did it like the last week I was on Twitter. I had posted a link to something, and I, and I made a stupid mistake. I didn't read the story, and the headline and the story didn't have anything to do with each other. And as soon as um, a number of friends took out the sledgehammer and, and pointed this out to me, I said, I'm going <laughs> to withdraw it because you know what? You're absolutely right. And I had like five or six people saying, man, that's refreshing. And I thought, where to the point it's refreshing to just admit you're wrong? I mean <laughs> – isn't that the the basis of debate? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, so so I, I totally agree with you with the tribalism thing, but I think we all compound it because nobody will ever admit they're wrong anymore.
1: That That is true. But going to the tribalism stuff, I mean, we've always kind of seen it in politics, but extending it to hokey sports, I mean, it seems like right now more than ever – it has really been exacerbated that there's like two camps of Hokie fans. I mean, between Tech Sideline and Twitter, you've been dealing with these people for a long time. Is this a new sensation? Has it ever been like this before? And if it hasn't, wh- when did it start?
0: Well, I, first of all, I think there's more than two sides to it. I think part of it is a generational thing, okay? Um, you know, I, I have my, my – the first guy I met at Virginia Tech in 1974 is my old friend Doug, and, and we, we, we still complain about the Hokies now 40 years later, okay? But we had the perspective of being there when it was really, really awful. So when you say things are going bad right now for Virginia Tech sports, if if you're under the age of 30, what you think is bad is actually – Moderate to semi good uh, versus where we were. So you, so you got that to begin with. I think the other thing, we, when we were driving back home from the national championship game in 2000, uh, I said to my friend that I said, Imagine 10 years from now when there's a whole generation out there that has never experienced the two, eight, and ones years. And they think this is how it's supposed to be all of the time. And even more so, I was warned by a friend at Tennessee one day and said, okay, now that you guys are doing good, now you're going to have a lot of fans that never even went to Virginia Tech in the first place. You're you're their their pro football team, and they're going to have their point of view, and they're going to be really impatient. And so you start adding, that. And, and, and the tribes kind of go on more than just pro and con, pro and con. I'm not really part of Virginia Tech. I want you to win now. You know, uh, you, you've got us older guys that that are thinking, hey, this isn't all so bad, and you know, I, and then you've got younger folks that say, hey, listen, you know, I'm. I don't want to invest all of my money uh, right these days to buy season tickets for a team that doesn't win. And so it's, it's like there's four or five camps, and I think that all probably came on, uh, t- to your point, you know, three or four years ago, back when Tech Side Line was first coming up, and again, I-, I use the term a lot when the rocket ship was taken off in the late 90s, we were all happy. There wasn't a lot for us to complain about. I mean, when, when you went out to the mailbox and you picked up that Sports Illustrated with Andre on the cover that said, we belong, I mean, you got goosebumps because we used to be, I mean, the 2-8-1 and eight and one team that everybody beat up on. But now the expectations are different, and I think that the, uh, the patience are different. And, you know, back then we thought, God, maybe one day we'll make it to a bowl game. Maybe one day we'll, we'll, we'll go play at Notre Dame which we did, and, and me and all us old geezers got on planes and flew there so that we could be there. Uh, now the expectations are different. That's just not good enough. And I think the other thing, which is just lurking in the background, is when the rocket ship took off, Frank was a hokey. I mean, he came up through Virginia Tech. The president was Paul Torgerson, uh, who was a teacher there and rose up to president. Charlie Steger came in after he—Charlie was a student there, and then an instructor, and then he made his way all the way up to president. There was a, a commonality of, you know, what a hokey was and what our expectations are and what our wildest dreams are. Well, now it's a little different. I mean, you know, Justin may stay, Justin may leave. Who knows? I mean, I think the fact that you just threw out a hand grenade that said, hey, pay attention to this, um, drew a lot of emotion. Buzz, Buzz was a rental. Everybody knew he was a rental. If you got more than five years from him, you were lucky as far as like that. Dr. Sands is from Purdue. He's not, he hasn't spent 20 years at home. So now you've got a lot of different perspectives that make us all kind of a little bit sensitive on, wait a minute, what's this all about? And I think that's contributed a lot to all this.
3: Dave, two points that I have in, in in regards to when, I guess the fan base really fractured. I think the the final years of the Frank era was kind of at least the beginning of it for a lot of people my age. Uh, just watching mm-hmm. watching the program kind of slip from from its pedestal of not eight to ten wins every single season. And being in in competition for the coastal, um, once Tyrod left, and then Logan came in after Logan's first year, um, things just didn't seem the same, and and a lot of people recognized that. And I, I remember there being some um, some some break inside the fan base then, but also too um, the year where Tech went six and seven, 2018, I think that was probably the year that the fan base that's really into it right now really broke up uh, just because that year was hard to watch, man. Um, I mean, I I remember watching those games every single week, and you just knew that Tech had no chance of, of even competing on the field. And I think a lot of people were frustrated that you had this guy who came that wasn't from Virginia Tech lore like you were talking about. The guy has no familial connections or regional connections to the East coast or Virginia. Um, He comes in, has a great first year, second year, still pretty good, but it's, you know, it's not as great. And then the third year, it was like, they went in the tank. Um, And and I think that that really upset a lot of people. And because there wasn't this um, overall arching love for Justin, because he grew up at or grew up around the area or was a Hokie when he was younger, like, a, a, a Bud Foster or a Frank Beamer or a Brian Steinspring or anything like that, um, I, I, I feel like his leash got really short, and that turned a section of the fan base so against him that at, at this point, whatever Justin does, they're going to find something wrong with him.
0: I don't know that, I mean, to be fair, let me, let me just tell you my take on Justin, okay? I think he's a good football yeah, coach. go okay? ahead. I think, I think he is in the same boat that um frank was when when the athletic director dave brain came in and said you're too loyal to your friends okay you need to get rid of some of these assistants and bring in some people who are better coaches so i think justin is in that same boat you mentioned 2018 um yeah, a lot of us old guys were real concerned, too. But it wasn't so much we were concerned that, you know, we went six and seven. We didn't like it at all. But I, I can just speak for myself. I was concerned because I saw game after game toward the end of that season where the kids didn't look like they were having fun. I mean, I, you know, if you run a company, if you coach a team, if you do whatever, the worst thing in the world is to be in a situation where you tell somebody, go out and run that play or go out and try to sell this product, and you can see on their face they, they don't think it can be successful. And as a result, you know, they, they kind of lose some enthusiasm. And, and you saw that on the field those last couple games in 2018. You also saw that leak its way into the first part of 2019, obviously culminating with that disaster of a Duke game, that thing. But then some things changed. And if you want to ask me what I'm most concerned at, it's Jerry Kill came in, and I think Jerry got to some people and said, you've got to make some changes here, okay? And all of a sudden, you saw that that spirit, that enthusiasm. They, They looked like, okay, we got a chance this play can work. I mean, we'll get to the what took them so long to figure out Hendon's a great quarterback some other time. But for whatever reason, the team started playing like a team. Hendon was part of it. I think Jerry was part of it. I will always have that memory of a running back being very successful and running to the sideline and going to Coach Kill, not his position coach. That told me that he was imparting some wisdom that was changing some things around. And after the season... You saw some coaches change, too. They made some of those changes. Now we'll find out in 2020 if we ever play, did that fix it? So yeah, that's where I, I think I'm, a lot I'm, of us are is where where is this program going? It's not so much Justin's not a Hokie. One thing Justin has to deal with, which I would not want to, if you've ever been around Frank Beamer, after about three or four minutes, you feel like he's your best friend and that you are his friend, too. He just has this charm about him that just – just makes people like him. Uh, you know, forget about football. He's just a nice guy. Justin is a little more reserved. He's much more inwardly focused. It doesn't come naturally to him, and so as a result, you know, he's got to win. And and I think people question stuff like that. I think winning takes care of everything. But he's been through the last two years where I can't think of a single facet of his personality somebody hasn't questioned, and that's a hard place to be. And, you know, he just, he just needs to win.
1: Uh, Now, Dave, looking at the, um, what was I gonna say? Dave, looking at some of the camps here, right? There is a thought process, which is basically backed up by facts that Virginia Tech, you see the decline in performance on the field, and you see a decline in where they stand in terms of how much money that they raise and make, you know, how much money goes into the football program, Virginia tech, frankly, compared to their ACC counterparts, compared to other schools who believe that they are big time contender college football programs simply doesn't have the budget that matches the Hokie club donations. Don't come in. Hmm. Do you believe that that is a major issue in the program and from the outside looking in, what would you do to try to change that?
0: So now we're going to get to the point where I really annoy some people with what I say. Okay. Uh,
2: <laughs>
0: uh, I mean, there's no question that, that money is important, okay? I, I have occasionally got into some firefights with people online because I don't think it is the most important thing. I mean, Texas makes more money than anybody. I haven't seen them win a national championship in football or basketball yes, in a while. Tom you Herman
3: know, is overrated, baby.
0: <laughs> well, I'm not going to go that far. I'm just saying if money was purely the the end all to everything, then Texas would be winning a lot of things. You you still have to take that money and spend it wisely. But nevertheless, yes, we we trail in that sort of thing. And now I'm now I'm going to put my hat on as a former CEO of a furniture company. You know, when you sell stuff, the first thing you want to do is the reason that, you know, you donate or you buy is you want to we used to always say he'll buy from you, but he won't buy from the sales rep because he wants to know he's got a friend somewhere in the ivory tower. And over all of the years when Virginia Tech tries to raise money, I mean, the inside joke in my house is I love Virginia Tech and I love my daughter and they both ask me for money all the time. And when Virginia Tech asks me for money, do they get somebody from the athletic association to call and ask me? No. They get a student to call me. You know how, I mean, first of all, let's just look at the dynamics. A 20-year-old asking a 60-year-old why I should be giving money to them. That's almost as successful as a 60-year-old telling a 20-year-old how they should look at politics, okay? It ain't going to work in the first place to begin with, you know. So if you're going to be serious about raising money, hire professional people that know how to sell, that know how to market, and can take care of, pe- of that sort of situation. Right now, it's like we've abdicated it to we're going to send out a bunch of emails and we're going to have students, you know, work in a boiler room calling people and that's going to bring in a bunch of money. I mean, does that sound as naive to you as it does to me?
3: Yeah, I will- it, it sounds really small time.
0: I will and see and, that's, it- and that's, so that's one of the things that, I mean, you know, when people tell me in wit we trust and he 's a wonderful athletic director he 's a lovely man he 's made some great hires. But what tends to happen even in businesses is there are the short term things that you know create all sorts of attention and all sorts of credit, but then there are the longer things, the detailed things that just take a while, and you have to roll your sleeves up, and it's thankless, but you've got to do it if you're going to build a great organization. I wrote a story back in, uh, in 2018 uh, about, I went to the Notre Dame game, and, you know, I, I said, you know, it, 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 it strikes me as Virginia Tech doesn't realize that they're they're going to end up getting bit big time and a lot of schools are too because the game is changing the atmosphere is changing I go to this game and I pay hundred fifty bucks for the same tickets I was paying for $20 for when Michael Vick was there Um, I get to the parking lot they still haven't figured out how to flow people in uh, to the stadium in a reasonable way there's this huge crush Uh, I get into the stadium I can't even text my friend on the other side of the stadium, because you can't get a cell signal. You can't get Wi-Fi. Uh, I, I take a break in the middle of the first quarter to go use the restroom. I'm standing in two inches of water uh, because people have gotten drunk and passed <laughs> out, and there's all sorts of a mess in there. And, I, and I'm just thinking, you know, and I, and I want to give thousands of dollars to continue this experience. If you want a premium price from me, then give me a premium experience. It shouldn't be that hard all these years to get Wi-Fi to work there or to have janitors in the bathrooms to clean those things up or to figure out when we went to notre dame and in, in 2016 i mean they figured out a way to get everybody into that old stadium without us pushing and shoving each other i mean it's just the little things and if you just take them individually and put them online uh... and, and mention them, they'll tell you you're a whiner and go away but it's the culmination of those things i mean I can't have a conversation with my daughter without her having a phone in her hand and looking at it all of the time. That Wi-Fi means something to them, and we've been talking about it for 10 years. And all of a sudden, you know, one day we're going to wake up, and the story I wrote was talking about Kodak. Kodak invented the digital camera. They didn't believe it was all that important because they made film. So they ignored it. And guess what? They've gone bankrupt because nobody wants to buy film anymore because the digital (laughs) camera is what people wanted. Okay? The product we are selling in college athletics right now is entertainment, okay? It's not to know that there is a, a blitz coming on second and third and is going to open the B gap. and do, No, it's, it's to go there, it's to see their friends, it's to be entertained, it's to be able to go on your phone and be able to talk to friends somewhere else, to be able to get a cold drink, a hot beverage, and use a clean restroom. Okay, those those are important things. If you don't do it, guys like me, 60-year-old guy, we will die with orange and maroon on, and we'll keep giving money. But my daughter won't. You guys are sports fanatics, but you'll get married and your wife won't be a sports fanatic and your kids won't be a sports and they won't want to go. And they'll say, why should I give $1,000 a year when I can take that and buy another phone or do this or do that? I mean, the analogy I use all the time with the short-sightedness of this long play is um, I'm going to have to ask you guys to think about your dads because you're too young about this. But back in 2005, 2006, every one of us old geezers had a BlackBerry. It was the phone, that's what you had. And iPhones were just coming around. And all of a sudden, all the younger folks were going to the iPhone because of the apps. Blackberry refused to get involved in that. They just, they just didn't get apps written for their phones. And as time went on, it wasn't a year or two thing, it was a 10, 12 year thing. All of a sudden, well, I wanna get those apps people go over to the iPhone. In 2017, the biggest phone company that was ever around, the BlackBerry just owned everybody. They stopped making phones in 2017 because nobody wanted them. I don't want Virginia Tech to be that same way. We, we're already starting five miles behind because we were, we were one of those dregs for many, many years. We were independents that nobody wanted to play or anything like that. But we got, we had our own iPhone. We caught lightning in a bottle. You know, uh, the two most important people, I think, of Virginia Tech, besides Mike Vick are, are Dave Brain, who made Frank buy, you know, hire these new assistants, and Jim Druckenmiller, who every time the offensive coordinator sent in a play, he just ignored it and threw the ball deep. <laughs> and we went to the Sugar Bowl and the Orange Bowl, and because we did those two, the next year was Michael Vick's senior year. And his mother could see, okay, he could play in the New Year's Day game and get all this attention and not leave Virginia. And then Michael comes here, and the rest is history. Um... We had that chance. We're we're not capitalizing on it, and we're certainly not looking long-term to – how about the, the guys that are 30 and under right now that don't seem to be wanting to join the Hockey Club or come to our football games anymore? What are we doing to draw those guys in? And that concerns me greatly.
1: And that's where we get to the argument about beer in the stadium. Why aren't we selling it? Uh, but, Dave, obviously well, – you know,
0: I think Go that's a great ahead, point, Dan. by the way. I, I would sell it, but just just understand, now, now we're back to, you know, I want my clean bathrooms where three guys haven't thrown <laughs> up in the stall before I got there, okay? <laughs> well, to be fair, everyone
3: that, that would be drinking in the stadium is already drinking outside the stadium so
0: absolutely i mean that that was going to be my point too of all all you would be doing is transferring the revenue from that to that. but but that's that's one of those short fixes i mean it's kind of like you know yeah. in, in a lot of cities you you start i mean mcdonald's is an institution to a lot of people because they invented the happy meal and they started you know hooking kids at the age of four years old on it's a treat to go to mcdonald's and then they turned 16 and 17 and realized what was i so excited about in the first place but <laughs> Virginia Tech is not doing that when they keep saying it's too expensive to get Wi-Fi or it's too expensive to do this or it's too expensive to do that. And it comes down to priorities. I mean, now, now I'll, I'll throw out the one that will really irritate everybody, and that is in business, if you end up with a hot product and you get this windfall of profits, you know what you pour it into? That very same product. And you own the marketplace. You know, we, the rocket ship took off in football. And, um, you know, there was, there was money to be made, and I think we spread it around uh, to all of the other sports and might have been too fair to all those other sports. I would have made sure that football got taken care of first. And I think when I talk about some of these long-term planning, I think some of it is also, uh, you know, Ricky, you made the point about, uh, you know, Frank's last couple of years. There's no question about that. There should have been a plan of succession a little bit earlier. There should have been some things to be put into place to possibly ease that. I mean, I get involved with high school sports up here every now and then, and you used to see assistants up here all the time in you know, 2003, 4, and 5. I mean, Jerron Gavea, uh, you know, he, the, the Wang brothers, they came from Stonebridge here in Ashburn. Those assistants were up here a lot, but in those last three or four years of Frank, you didn't see very many coaches up here and and now you don't see them at all. Uh, Norm Wood wrote a a story about that in the uh, Norfolk and Newport newspaper the other day when James Madison signed some three-star kid and he said, we never see anybody. And part of it is because you've changed staffs. I mean, it used to be Frank, Frank was here for 30 years. I mean, so his assistants were here all the time, but it just seems like the priorities are different and I can't tell you they're right or wrong. All I can do is judge the final result. And if, if the program is going from, you know, all these years of winning to now having a losing season and has gone from 15 years of beating UVA and now they lost to them last year, um, you could make the argument that, you know, maybe some adjustments might need to be made.
3: Dave, I was talking to a friend of mine, and I won't put his name out there, but he's he's someone who um, follows the program pretty closely. Um he, him and I were talking about the, the Nike deal that Virginia Tech has, which for those who are diehard followers of the program have obviously seen already. Um, if you haven't, Tech TechSideVine has a really good breakdown of, of the deal um, on their site and how it compares to the rest of the Power Five. You should really go read that um, if you haven't already. But we were talking about how Virginia Tech faces all of these um, these institutional issues in terms of how they're just behind a lot of the programs that they're trying to compete with. And you mentioned that earlier. Um, but one of the reasons he said that that uh, Virginia Tech's Nike deal was so bad wasn't just because of the transition that was happening at the time inside the athletic program when um, when all of this happened, when Jim Weaver was on his way out, and when Babcock was on his way in. But the other problem is that Virginia Tech fans just don't buy a ton of merchandise and well um, yeah
0: okay okay let let, let me just disagree a little with that first of all yes i thought you were going to say it wasn't a great deal because we were not exactly sitting in a position of heavily leverage right then either but uh yeah i think the the nike deal was signed right before we got it it,
3: he was he was mentioning it's just because tech tech fans don't buy the, the merchandise on levels that Um, Carolina fans buy merchandise or um, Clemson fans buy merchandise or Miami fans buy merchandise.
0: That's true, but uh, you're also comparing a regional brand to a national brand. I mean, you go into most places, there's 10 or 11. Carolina's one of them. Notre Dame's one of them. Michigan's one of them. Um, UCLA used to. I don't know if there's much of a national brand anymore. And that came from 50, 60, 70 years of success. I will tell you that one of the greatest days of my life, and it's still up in my closet upstairs, was that that 95 season when we got good enough that all of a sudden in the bookstore they had starter jackets and I was absolutely willing to pay $125 for that jacket that was worth $40 because there's finally a Virginia Tech starter jacket, okay? And then the next week I came back and 40,000 of my friends had the same jacket. Uh, we will buy stuff, but that that's not the point. We will buy it, but we need to be enough of a brand so that people outside of our footprint in Western Virginia will. And I think, you know – Again, going back into ancient history, this is why you invited an old geezer. Uh, you, go, you go back to 2004 when we played Southern Cal up here at FedEx, and all of a sudden the Washington Post wakes up and says, that's the loudest we've ever heard of those stadium." And you wanted to say, yeah, we, we all graduated. We all have jobs. We even spend money on stuff, okay? And the Washington Post started then giving a beat writer to Virginia Tech. There are a lot of alumni out there. And we are in a lot of situations, and we have a lot of successful people. I'm just not sure that, and I'm not blaming one person, but the whole apparatus of Virginia Tech recognizes that and really markets it accordingly. I mean, I've lived up here in Ashburn for 20 years. The number of times I've been contacted by anybody to come to some sort of a situation, other than an email saying, hey, we're having a golf tournament somewhere, uh, is zero. And I just... I just I look at Carolina and I look at some of these other schools and they they are a bit more aggressive in staying in contact with their alumni and personal contact makes a difference in if if I email you and say Ricky can you give me 20 bucks you'll delete the email. If I actually <laughs> see you face to face and say, Ricky, can I have 20 bucks? Odds are you might give it to me because there's a personal connection. That's the whole yeah. basis of sales. That's the whole basis of fundraising. And I just don't understand how Virginia Tech with a very, very good business school doesn't seem to want to pay attention to that. Or maybe, or maybe what they are doing is they have limited resources and they're hitting on just the richest of the rich. And they're ignoring the golden Hokies and the silver Hokies that, yeah, we can't give a million, but you know, three to $4,000 a year is still pretty daggone good. I mean, before you said, let's up. do this, this show, I have, I have a friend whose older brother has been a golden Hokie for like 20 years. He's had the same seats football-wise. He just receded last week, and he lost his seats. And that's neither here nor there. What is here nor there is he's so angry. He says, I'm not going to give another dollar. Uh, and he's been trying to call somebody at Virginia Tech to complain for the last three or four days, and he can't find anybody. That's what's wrong. I give three, $4,000 a year for years. I better, I better know somebody in the ivory tower. Now, conversely, his younger brother, who's only a silver, just redid his tickets this morning, and he got exactly what he wanted. And so you, you can't paint a brush and say, golly, they're screwing the older. No, it, it happens here and there. But it's when you lose 10 or 15 of them one year because they got upset and they had nobody to soothe them over, and that goes on for five, six, seven years. All of a sudden, you're losing real money, and it's not being replaced by you know, a 28-year-old that, as my daughter points out to me, and she's absolutely right you guys are starting with a much bigger financial load on your back than we ever did. I mean, I went to four years of tech cost $6,000. I mean, I worked part-time jobs at the Blacksburg sun and newspapers, And I was able to pay it off. So I was able to go into life without any debt. Um, it's a much different story right now. And if the school doesn't market to that younger base and recognize the challenges they have, um, they're going to lose them.
1: Now, now Dave, Like you said, you've been in and around Blacksburg and Virginia Tech since the 70s, right? And obviously things have changed from a university perspective, from a town perspective, in unimaginable ways over that period of time. What about the old Blacksburg do you miss? What about the old way that Virginia Tech used to run things versus how it might be now do you miss? And what changes have you found have really benefited everyone?
0: Well, and I have the perspective of having a daughter that went there, um, and so she was there 13, 14, 15, and 16. So, so I, I got to see some of these, you know, uh, up close. I mean, obviously, if I'm a younger person like my daughter, I mean, I was, I lived on the pit with no air conditioning in Pritchard, uh, and I go to her dorm, and I mean, she's got the internet, and she's got air conditioning, and she's got all that sort of stuff, and that's great. Um, But then at the same time, she tells me she goes to a class and I'm paying $25,000 for a year and um, she can't get football tickets. I have to go take care of her for that sort of thing. And she's going to classes that are just video recordings. Uh, And it's like, no, for this amount of money, I think you probably ought to have a professor that you can actually talk to and see and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's just differences in generations. I would say that back in the 70s, there was more of a, a closeness, if you will. Um, it, it certainly wasn't sophisticated by any means, but, I mean, the running joke was you know, everybody that was at a football game was either a student or an alumni. So there was that kind of atmosphere. Uh, now you go to a game right now, and it's, again, one of the marketing things that I, I, I tend to scream at my television, but, um, you know, with that stadium and with the fireworks and the entertainment, and I mean, this is... Big time! This is entertainment, and I can't tell you how many times back when I was a road warrior traveling, you know, I would run into media people, I would run into executives of the company, and they would say, because I tend to wear Virginia Tech on my sleeve, um, I got to get there for a night game. That that's on my bucket list. That's one of the that's from TV. That's one of the greatest things there are, and I'm sitting there thinking, why isn't my university going to every mover and shaker? I mean, and getting them to these games, to experience them, and let them adopt us as their new favorite school. We had parts of this great product that we're just not, I mean, we're just saying, it's here, you know, if you want to, come on. And and marketing is, is is going to them and saying you may not be aware of it yet. Let me help you get involved in this. Let me let me send you a ticket. I was talking at a, a Nationals game and I got to meet uh, FP Santangelo. And you know, whether you think he's a great announcer or not, nevertheless he still holds some sway uh, as far. as – But FP was saying that that he'd love to go come to one of those games. I got him in touch with Bill Roth, and Bill Roth worked it out. I mean, why aren't we doing that with 50, 100, thousands of people? Get them to taste it because, unfortunately, you know, the, the, the elephant in the room is the last couple of years. You know, you come and we have this great, you know, goosebumps of inner Sandman, and then we lose the game. And that kind of takes away from it, you know. You go back into 2003, 2004, where, where everybody's jumping, the place is going crazy, and we're playing number three Miami, and we win. I mean, people that experience that, I mean, you sold them as a fan for life. Yeah. And that's, that's the marketing part that I just don't understand. Um, in business, you have conglomerates um, like, was mentioned in the opening commercial, and then you have mom and pops, and we still at times run our program like we're a mom and pop, instead of having that vision of, hey, we've got this great thing here, and unfortunately, at some point, if you don't capitalize on it, things run in cycles, and all of a sudden, you're, you're not that school that won 10 games and, and was ranked in the top 10 eight of the last nine years. And then it's hard, because the the, the second hardest thing I've I've been told is to gain a national reputation, which we did. The hardest is to lose it. And sometimes I feel we're on the edge of losing it.
2: Dave, you made a comment that I think rings true with and reminded me of uh, the Duke game last season. And, you know, you mentioned the night games and, you know, people coming up to you when you were on the road saying, i got to make it to Blacksburg for a night game at Virginia Tech. And you mentioned getting getting movers and shakers, you know, in the building for those night games. You know, Virginia Tech, you know, they tried to celebrate the 20-year anniversary of their 1999 national championship game, the night of the Duke game last year. And uh, one story that came out was that there wasn't a ton of interaction between the current coaching staff uh, with Justin Fuente and those players from that 1999 National Championship game. And a large part of this podcast tonight, you know, we've been talking about how influential those those years in the 90s were uh, to the Virginia Tech football program and the history of the program and the brand that Virginia Tech is today. I haven't been able to find the answer or think of an answer as to how to fix this, but it feels like there is a disconnect right now between – the athletic department and the football program and some of the members, significant members for that matter, of the glory days of Virginia
0: Tech football. How do you think we fix that? You hire somebody. I mean, I, and, and, and <laughs> let me, give me give me a second to, because I know you're thinking I'm, I'm trash and wit, which I'm not. Um, but here's what happens in successful companies. OK, you have the guy on the point. That's wit. And he's the guy that, you know, he hires the people and he gets in front of the cameras and he makes everybody feel good. But they almost, all the successful companies I've been, always had another person or two that took care of the details, that made sure that those things didn't get overlooked. The one that knew that your biggest dealer's birthday was next Thursday. The one who, who connected, they, they call it customer relationship marketing. You, you remember those important soft points. And when the transition went from Frank to Justin, I'm sure Justin isn't aware of every little bit of the history and all of those important things that happened. And so, you can't say it's that person, it's Ricky's fault, it's Mike's fault. No, it is the problem with your management team of you haven't hired somebody to shine a light on that and say that's important. To me, you know, if you're going to go after making your program for the long run, not for the next three or four years. You have to realize the foundation your program was built on. Not to mention, a lot of them are professional athletes that, if they did feel loved and wanted, would give money too, by the way, or at the very least, you know, would get involved in the recruiting process. I mean, we just lost a, a highly ranked quarterback from Texas, and I couldn't help but notice in Twitter one of the things he said was, I never heard from Vic at all. You know, yeah, those little I know things matter. There. You know, and and the the fact of the matter is I, I have a feeling, I don't know Michael, but from what I've seen, the way he has reacted in a, in a lot of things, him and Bruce Smith, both, if you asked him, they'd, they'd do it. I just don't think anybody asked him. And yeah. that's the little detail that, again, comes back to, you know, marketing is always that that perception is every bit as important as the reality. Well, I can't manage reality, but I can manage perception. And that's where... I sometimes I look at Virginia Tech and I say, why don't you have two or three people that are managing this perception? I mean, I'm not talking about media. That's that's a whole nother deal. But you know, I can tell you as a sales and marketing guy. I mean, having that person working with you that comes in and says, okay, these are our five or six most important things, and by the way, here's here's some backhand information on them, and this person's having this important event coming up, and this is coming, and the fact that I know it, and now I can react to it, and it's like this person thinks I'm their greatest friend because I'm staying on top of all of these details. That's very important in the sales process. And I just, it's these little details I just don't think are happening. And you know, if you ask me, well, can you hazard a guess why? If you make these kinds of positions, ones that are stepping stone ones, I want to take this job uh, because that might help me become an athletic director somewhere else. You've hired the wrong guy. You know there's a as much as everybody talks about how weird us salespeople are, we are weird. We are different. We do see <laughs> things differently, okay? Uh, and if you start out as a sports writer and become a salesman, you're really weird. I can tell you that firsthand. But the point of it is is you realize that if Virginia Tech, like all these others, are going to raise money and make people feel close to the program, you have to sell them. You can't just say the doors are open. Come on, give us your money, buy a ticket, and be part of it. And I think that's the difference between being a small-time program and a big-time program.
3: Dave, you brought up uh, Demetrius Davis talking about how he had never heard from Michael. And I remember in um, 2016 when Virginia Tech was recruiting Devin Hunter heavily, and obviously Devin had all sorts of of high-level suitors. um, Cam Chancellor played a huge role in his recruitment. Um, Mm -hmm. and Cam was at Devin Hunter's commitment ceremony, uh, which happened down here in the 757. And I, it's hard to wonder how exactly that happened. And you can't help but think that that was something that Bud probably got involved in, right? And and told Cam. Somebody on the
0: staff did that, yes.
3: Yeah. So, so how come, how come this staff who, um, obviously doesn't have as much connection to tech as the old staff, but still there are guys like Justin Hamilton here. Um, There are a few GAs who I think have, or who are tech guys. How come they can't generate that, that former player alumni relationship with guys who were around more so 10, 15 years ago, rather than the, the most recent guys who tech has around all the time, like the Edmonds brothers, are are very popular on virginia Tech's social media feed um chuck clark uh, all these guys that played in the last five years but these guys that were instrumental to the program 15 20 years ago we don't see their names as much how come that is
0: well i mean let's be fair to everybody okay first of all human nature is that you get involved if you feel like somebody wants you to get involved okay uh i mean i I go all the way back to the Roanoke Times, and the Doug Dowdy was you know at my desk next to me. I talk to Doug all the time. If you asked me to talk to uh, the current uh, tech beat writer i wouldn 't get involved at all because i don 't know the guy i mean so you know I, I think you 've got a situation in in that. This has to come from a different department. You can't ask Fuente to be the guy that does this, okay? He's there to, to win football games. He knows his guys. He would be glad to reach out to anybody like that. But asking him to be cognizant of some of this and reaching out and ask something for, for you know somebody that was one of Frank's guys 15 years ago, I mean, again, Justin is not a – He's not a dynamic salesman, okay? He's a very thoughtful, very smart, but nevertheless somewhat reserved guy. It's not his nature to do something like that. I mean, one of the ironies is all of us media people never met a stranger, okay? So we don't understand people that are shy. But... It happens, yeah. okay? I, and, and invariably, let me warn all of you, you will marry somebody like that. Whatever you like, as a, as a. if you're an A, you're going to marry a B, and then you'll learn about it the hard way, okay? But, you know, because <laughs> of that, um, oh, yeah, <laughs> you haven't asked, why did I stop being a sports writer after 10 years? Well, it happened right after I got married, okay? Anyway, <laughs> the point is, if there is a point here, um, that – there has to be somebody else who's watching this and again i don't say it's got to be wit but the athletic department needs to have a marketing arm and a marketing you look at any major company out there they all got a marketing department you know why because those people a guy who is an accountant or a bean counter or or is a manufacturing guy He doesn't understand that. So it it doesn't rise to the top of his, you know, uh, visibility. Whereas a marketing guy is thinking, okay, I could take that and I could spin that this way and I could reach out to this guy and I could leverage this to do this. And it all comes together. I think a lot of times Virginia Tech, uh, in its fundraising and its marketing and stuff like that, um, there's a bit of a turf battle. And I think there is... uh, there is not that committee that gets together and, okay, I understand you're weak at this. I'm going to handle that. Now, I'm not good at this. You handle this. I'm not sure they get to that point. I think it becomes a little more like the Army, and I'm the, I'm the general, and here's what we're going to do, and I just go make it happen. And, you know, you look at down in Alabama, you look over at uh, some of the successful programs. I mean, I'll be honest with you, yeah, I got involved in an operation because I had an old friend who lost his job. And he was a sports editor in Charlottesville. And so I spent three months, and I wrote a website for him. I put a business plan together. And because of that, I had to interact with the good people at the University of Virginia more than I ever wanted to. Um, but they're good people, and they had marketing people. And they had people, when I would reach out, even though they knew I was a hokey, uh, uh, they dropped what they were doing and took care of it. And they are doing some of those things, and they, they scare me right now because they're winning right now. Now, I think their football program is going to fall off the cliff this year because so much of it was tied off in a, in a quarterback. But nevertheless, they seem to start to be able to get this, that you know this is how you market stuff. And, I mean, you even see it, and uh, you guys are all media people. You read the, the other newspaper people, and they seem to – be more excited about what the UVA people serve them for lunch after a game or whatever. Whatever it is, they <laughs> seem to have a positive uh, Mike Barber, I'm talking about specifically, but uh, no they seem to have a positive vibe about how they are treated. I don't know Pete Morris, so I don't know what's going on with Virginia Tech, but I don't see them saying the same thing about us. And it makes me mad and it's kind of like I want to pick up the phone and say, you know, why aren't you talking about our guys this way? It doesn't matter if it's true or not. The perception is as important as the reality. And I just don't get the perception sometimes. We are seen as that thoughtful, sensitive, we'll take care of this, don't worry about it um, type of operation. And when a guy sits down and decides, you know, it's, it's kind of like the, the norm thing about uh, I don't see these coaches here in school. Well, if an assistant is in that school over and over again – and he thinks, and this is how it was during Frank's time. I know that guy; I trust him, so if he tells me they're going to take care of my kid, then i'm going to make sure that message gets communicated to the parent. But if we're not there and we have to all of a sudden compete with everybody else, our product becomes a commodity, and when it's a commodity, it comes down to price i mean i I, I had to smile i mean i, I I will confess, I did not think Mike Young was the guy to be hired when he first got hired. Uh, I was as wrong as I could possibly be. He has just been fantastic. And uh, uh, hopefully I'll pronounce his name right, but Justin Mutz, I believe, was the guy that we uh, we, we just signed a transfer. Yeah. And when you read through the story, he talked about all of the phone calls that he had, and he got to know Mike Young as a person. And because of that, he felt like, okay, I can trust you to make sure my last two years I'm being used properly. And that's why I'm coming to Virginia Tech. That's important. And I think that, you know, sometimes we're too focused on short-term and are not spending the time for the long game with uh, not only the athletes we recruit, but, you know, our alumni to donate to our program. And it does make a difference.
3: Yeah, and Dave, you were not the only one that was wrong on Mike Young. I mean, I, I was extremely skeptical of his hire as well. Um, and he's absolutely blown the doors off, I think, here. And uh, I actually wrote a column on that on SI.com. Shameless plug. Uh, go read that at allhookies.com. But before we wrap this Bled up... plug the Jared I... story,
0: too. That was a very good story, too, by the way. What's that? Plug the uh, the Jared story, too, by the way. That was good, too.
3: Which Our one former was that?
0: quarterback? Oh, Gerard. Ricky, Ricky. Yeah. Yeah. Gerard, I'm sorry. Did I say Jared? I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah, that that was a lot of fun to write, man. Gerard's a really interesting person. And I remember when I was interviewing Gerard and uh, I told him, I was like, you know, w- when we cover these guys and we're covering the team, we're so focused on the day-to-day stuff that's happening with the team that we don't really get a chance to learn a lot about these guys uh, in person and, and how they are off the field. And part of that's because of the the press conference setup that Virginia Tech has. But I really got to learn a lot more about him personally, and it was a really really fun article to write. Um, and like Dave said, if you haven't read that one, check that one out too. Um, but before we wrap it up, Dave, I want to talk about your thoughts strictly on the field. Now, all the stuff off the field, we can set that aside, but what do you think about the team's prospect for not just this season, but maybe the next two to three seasons? Um, how, how well do you think this team can perform, um, over the next, you know, several seasons and, Where do you think Virginia Tech's ceiling is now on the field?
0: We're talking football now, right?
3: Yes, we're talking straight football, straight big skin, baby. Okay.
0: I think that this is one of those fork in the road years. I think that... All, yes. Anytime you bring in a new coach, I mean, you 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 can't judge them in the first couple of years because you're you're you are you you do not have your whole players together. And 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 Justin had a situation obviously with he didn't expect to see as many players leave early for the NFL uh, with 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 the Edmonds brothers. And I think he had some injuries that he didn't expect some as far as that's concerned. But. Now this year this next year coming up assuming we play it with whatever's going on in the world with the quarantines and things like that. I mean he's got something like what 21 out of 22 starters back. They're all his recruits right now. He he has changed up his staff. I mean he's not he's not still Bud was a tremendous asset but he still wasn't his guy. Now every coach and every player is his guy. And yep. now he has to produce. And I think that I think he's going to produce. I, I st- Again, I still don't understand why you gl- have a talent like Hendon Hooker. I'm very impressed with him, by the way. Uh, I, I lived in North Carolina when his dad played for NCAA and T, and that just shows you how old I am. But, uh, I mean, his dad was a great athlete, and, and just as – oh, I got a better one than that. When Mike Young got named, you did not get a picture from somebody saying, I went to the high school prom with Mike Young. I'll, I'll bet you can't say that. But, anyway, um, <laughs> I think I think they've got – um, they've got the nucleus for the the right group, but I, the, the question has not been answered in my mind yet. If the team has bonded to Fuente and believe him to the point that they will run over a cliff. As I said, in 2018, just something wasn't right. In 2019, yeah. maybe it was the quarterback or whatever, but something wasn't right at first. And then they all kind of came together and did very well. But then they kind of slid off the last two games. It's kind of like, all right, we we we're now full of ourselves and we're going to go back to believing what we did earlier. And we lost to UVA and we lost that bowl game. So I don't know what team I'm going to see. I can make a case for this should be a really, really good year. But I think that it is a pivotal year. If, if, if something were to happen that, you know, they only won seven or eight games this year, then I think, you know, Recruiting builds on your success. It also builds on your failure. People are whispering, why do you want to go there? He won't be there in two years. So it's very important for him to get things together. As I said, I think he could be the kind of guy that could stay in Blacksburg for another 20 years. He's, he's, a, he's a smart guy. He's a sharp guy. He doesn't have to be that natural salesman, but he does have to hire somebody on his staff that is. And I don't know if he has that person, but if he can figure that out – and get at least a minimum amount of talent. I am concerned that the amount of talent that's coming into Blacksburg now versus what was coming in four or five years ago, it just doesn't feel the same. But on the other hand, you know, one of the best quarterbacks we ever had besides Vic was Druckenmiller, and he was hardly a highly recruited type person. And, you know, Hooker was – so far down the depth chart, he was going to go transfer somewhere else as far as like that. So if you if you get the right people properly motivated, you're not going to win with a bunch of two stars. But if you can get a good mix of three and four stars and they believe, uh, I think they're going to do great things. I think that whole do they believe thing uh, still plays in the back of my mind after watching 2018.
3: Yeah, and I think that that's a, a valid criticism. I know we've talked about that before and – um after the, the 2019 Duke game, I mean, th- 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 that felt like a breaking point where things were were just completely off the rails. And um, I'm still shocked how the team kind of rallied last year and it made themselves into a competent team rather than a team that was repeating the same issues of 2018. So I think that there's still... Um, some questions about depth at multiple positions, uh, p- particularly wide receiver, with Hezekiah Grimsley and Damon Hazelton on or out the door. Um, but they return. Yet, yeah, like you said, David, they return something along the lines of 18 of their 22 starters. Um, they've got all of Fuentes' players now. So I agree that this is kind of a, a make-or-break year uh, for for but Justin. You, but, but, but
0: but but let me just say, you just identified the one thing that gives me the most hope. They had their backs against the wall, and they yeah. turned around and after hearing Herb Street on you know television talking about maybe they don't have the right guy or anything like that, they turned around and gave college football one big middle finger and said, "We're not dead yet, and that's yes. what you look for in a competitive athlete when he's pushed and his back is to the wall. he says, "I've had enough of this let's go win and that's you know." that's what you hope for and and the fact that Justin and the athletes he had were able to do that shows me he could do it again now he has to do it again though
3: definitely definitely I mean that was that was definitely an encouraging sign and and I mean he he sure as heck shut me up because after the Duke game I was I was just about done with the current staff uh, given what we saw in 2018 and 20 in the early part of 2019 but Dave, we're all set, man. Thank you again for coming on. You've been absolutely tremendous. Um, we will have you back on for sure. Um, this has been a really, really fun experience for me. And hopefully for, for all the, the people that are listening, I think you you got a really good insight into someone who's been around this program for a long time and understands exactly where Virginia Tech started, where Virginia Tech got to, and where Virginia Tech is now. And, um, Dave, I, th- I think your your experience in the business world and in the marketing world really kind of I- informs your overall view of the program, and I think a lot of people should take that into account.
0: Well, I appreciate the comments, and I'll just leave you with one thing, because you were saying after the Duke game, you know, I was just about to give up on them. Us old Hokies, I mean— we're never giving up on these guys. That's that's the one thing he can't make us give up on them. They they're our family. We can get mad at them like we do our our children, but uh, you know <laughs> it's in our blood. And uh, I, I appreciate you guys giving me a chance to you know say a few opinions. And I wish you guys the best of luck. Okay.
3: Thanks. And Thank for those you, who because Dave's not on Twitter anymore, Dulles District, go follow his blog. He's still writing on there. Uh, when when the baseball season resumes, I'm sure we'll see plenty of Nats content. For all the Nats fans. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, exactly. For all the Nats fans (laughs) that are listening. But um, thank you for listening again. Follow Dave on Twitter. He'll be back soon, hopefully. Um, Dave Scarangella. Follow Mike at Mike McDaniel SI. Uh, Follow me at Ricky the Blue. And Andrew, follow him at Andrew Alex Radio. Um, Thanks again for listening. And uh, we'll see you next time.